We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start right around 18. We're not going to do too many verses this morning. I think it's going to be 18 through 25. When we talk about Christmas peace, Christmas peace, and really it's lasting peace that comes from Messiah, right? So it's peace in general. He gets this time of year, and especially next year, it'll be even more heightened. Uh, you'll see arguments going on, and it is one of the ways that society likes to divide us. It was ridiculously awful the last time I preached this, which was in 2019. And it was just uh, the election from the year previous, the division that you saw on Facebook, the division you saw on, on, in social groups, it was just ridiculous. But as it comes down to it, and taking a side in an argument, you ever taken a side in an argument and you're kind of like, well, they're not quite right what they're saying things, and, and I think everyone would probably have to admit, yes, I have. Have you ever asked yourself why there are sides in an argument? Why there is a right and why there is a wrong? And I usually don't because the other side's always wrong, so I don't have to worry about who's right or wrong, right? right? And unfortunately, they usually seem to say the same thing. But why is there a right and wrong? What establishes these things? Well, we would say it would be a moral code. The moral code comes from a moral code giver. And as we're in church, we believe that moral code giver is the Lord. Amen? And so when society, especially the world, rears its ugly head, they like to be contrary to what the Lord says. And many times we would like to say that they're the rebels, which truly they are. But these days, I would say, when we stand on the truth, we're more rebellious than ever, unfortunately. So, it's time that we ask good questions before we demand change. When we get into an argument, we need to ask good questions. We need to, when somebody gets upset, it's a good advice to press into that. Why are they upset? Speak more on that subject. I can see that's really bothering you. And oftentimes, you'll find once they've been heard and they can calm down, you ask them to repeat it to you. And they will go ahead and, and say the same thing, but now with the logical side of their brain. And they will come in, and you can have a conversation now um, and not an argument. And many times in what they say, you will find that there is common ground to be had. And if you search for the solution from the common ground, then you will find maybe some creative ideas that they've already come up with that you haven't thought of, and they, you may be able to give some of your creative ideas as well. And I'm not saying it's perfection, but it is closer to where we need to be instead of this division that we always see in society, and that's getting more and more. So what if we cannot find common ground, Pastor? Well, then I would ask this of you. Are you going to really change their mind in that argument? Sometimes it's better just to walk away. But if you can't walk away, remember this. It is better to win the relationship than an argument every day of the week. So this week as you're dealing, going through 
many a Christmas, ups and downs, highs and lows, and family outings, remember it's better to win the relationship and not the argument, right? Because you're going to find that next time they're going to be a little bit more willing to listen. And if they are not, then one, they need a lot of prayer. And two, if they're not, then you're not going to change them in this little 10-minute conversation that you're going to get to have anyway. So what our main point this morning is up on the screen there and says, when we walk in the light of Emmanuel, he will direct our path. Well, that's easy to say, Pastor, but what if life throws us a curveball? What if it throws us a curveball? Maybe we have an unexpected death in the family, or maybe you have a layoff. The company lays you off for a while, and there's not enough work to go around, and now there's not enough money to go around. Or you bought a lemon, and you're throwing all this money into this car, house, whatever it may be. Or you found out that your girlfriend is pregnant, but you've never had an intimate relationship with her. Well, that one seems pretty specific, Pastor. What are you talking about? Well, that's what Joseph found himself in in Matthew chapter 1, right? He finds out his girlfriend's pregnant, and he has not been with her in that way. And so we see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. The story of Joseph, Jesus' stepfather. Does Jesus know about broken families? Well, he had a stepfather. He had a guy that didn't understand him but understood him. Does that make sense? As much as we can understand God, Joseph understood Jesus, and that's not very well. And um, did Jesus always obey Joseph to the letter? Well, you can make a debate. And when he was 12, that he stayed in the temple, and he was like, where have you been? Right? Um, though we know that's not disobedience. At the time, his parents, I'm sure, were very frustrated at that. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. We're going to read there. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful in the law and did not want to expose her public to did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. God's path is walked in peace. God's path is walked in peace. When you are walking down the path that God lays out for you, chaos can go all around. I always think of it like one of those corny comedies on TV, and you got the bombs going off behind them, and everything's going crazy, and they're just walking right down the center line and walking, and nothing's happening to them, right? And they're fine because it's all good, and it really points to an action shot of a previous movie that they're spoofing or whatever. But it is amazing to see how when you are in sync with the Holy Spirit and life has thrown you more than you can handle, and God is there with you, moving in a peaceful way and is directing you on that path, it is, it is much like that to where you're like, I can see where I'm supposed to go. I just need to get there, and I'm going to go and walk with the Lord. So three ways we find peace with the Lord is, one, we seek guidance through his word, which is like, I don't know if you've figured this out, but this has been an application point for the last four years. So um, it's gonna, always going to be the application point. We're always going to go back to God's word, right? Because that's where we find the answers. He has got those answers for us. The op- opposite of 
of this, of looking through God's word, is looking from the outside and casting shame into the situation. Oh, you've done that again? Well, shame on you. I'm better than you. In a sense, it's what we're saying. Anytime when we see fault in somebody else and we get a little, little joy out of it, that's our pride saying, I'm better than you, right? That is not how our response should be. If we see someone in sin, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, our heart needs to break along with them, and we need to come alongside and say, how can we help you get out of this hole, right? Now, I, I'm pretty good at doing this once. I'm pretty good at doing this twice. Peter was like, man, I could be a rock star and do this seven times, but how many times did Jesus say to do this? 70 times 7. I have not got there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little less than Peter. I'm about at 5 or 6, and then I'm kind of like, dude, you have not changed. I am getting frustrated with your sin. Yet God never does that to me, right? How many times do I repeat my sin over and over and over, fall to pride, fall to lust, fall to whatever it may be, and God says, you know what? Let's get back up, do it all over again. We can get through this together, right? So we got to remember that for others, right? We need to give grace. We need to give understanding. We either need to defend the weak like Joseph does to Mary. Think about this. This decision is going to affect him for the rest of his life. When he says that he is taking her, he is implying that he slept with her before he was supposed to, to everybody else that doesn't know the truth right? Or he can restore the relationship, which is like Jesus to us. Do our actions line up with God's word? And if we find out that before we get into trouble, then it helps us when after we get into trouble. And it helps us to not get in trouble in the first place. Number two is asking for forgiveness. Clean the slate between you and the Lord. This is important before we take communion this morning. Right? Clean the slate. In an argument, why, are, why does there have to be slides? Well, often it's because we get defensive before we can extend grace. Our pride most often gets in the way, and we feel like we have this right, self-righteousness to be right. My way is right. My way happens to be God's way, and I still am condemning them for being wrong. Right? Why? Because it's easy to bottom line answers, isn't it? It's easy to come right and say, well, that's, you know, you ask what color the carpet is up here, and, and you guys would all say, it's all green, yes, and I would, it's red, right? Well, you obviously know that I'm wrong, you know it's green, but I know it's red, and so now we're at an impasse, aren't we? And so how are we going to come to this conclusion? Sometimes it's not worth arguing over the color of the carpet, is it? If you want it to be red, go ahead and let it be red. But uh, you're going to have a wake-up call. Well, what do you mean wake-up call, right? So a better way to handle that would be, well, how did you come to the conclusion that's green? Well, I asked my neighbor next to me, and they said it was green, and I asked somebody else, and they said it was green, and I know they have pretty good eyesight, Shane, you might need to get your eyes checked. You're right, because I thought this was red. Maybe I always thought it was red. Maybe I grew up in a society where it was red, right? That's ridiculous, because we know it's green. Well, I don't know. 
don't know what to tell you. So can you see how it can get really complicated really quickly? And it's important when we get out of hand to say, you know what, I, I'm a little out of hand here. Um, I'm going to back down, and we're going to look into this a little bit more, do some research, and, and see what we come up with on our colors, okay? Maybe you can find a, a trusted source where it says, uh, maybe you get out your Pantone color book and says, hey, this is red, right? Now we have a little bit of structure to it, and we can defend this. Or maybe you say, aha, Shane, that's where yours was mislabeled. This is actually green. You're right. I'm wrong. And the carpet is green, by the way, just so you know, if you're wondering. On home, I don't know if you can see down there, but because life is not a straight path, is it? And it becomes more and more crooked all the time as people try to make truth relative. If I were to say this is red, that would be true to me. That's relative truth, folks. Okay, Where do you get that today? We see that in genders, right? People say, how many genders are there? I heard a great answer for that the other day. There are zero genders. There are... Um, what sex are you? You're male or female, right? That's how we're, I'm going to hit that one from now on because you are, do I have a perfect designer in the world? Is God perfect? Did he design me the way he designed me? Yes, he did. So therefore, he's right. He created it. So I get a little black and white there. Whew, there's a good Christmas argument right there, right? Um, but Many times there's forks in the road, right? Specifically with that one. That one's a tip. That one's a tough one today in society. And Joseph, he finds himself at one of those forks. And he can choose the easy way. He can basically divorce Mary because not, though they're not married back in the day when they were engaged, they're pretty much married. You know, besides, according to Moses' law, she deserves to be stoned. Or he can choose the hard way, and he can marry her. All the shame would fall on him for something that he did not do. Or Joseph can choose to do nothing, and it would all remain on Mary. And she would look, be looked on in shame, but maybe even by Joseph for the rest of her life, right? I can't believe you do this. I can't believe, but God intervenes, right? And we need to seek Guidance through wise counsel. And in this case, we see that wise counsel coming directly from God. The angel of the Lord intervenes in this situation and tells Joseph that Mary is carrying my child, is carrying a child from the Holy Spirit, and that you need to support her in how you're going to raise this child and things. So later on in the gospel, it said of Jesus... We know that this man, Jesus, comes from Joseph and Mary. So we know that Joseph does the right thing, and he bears the shame that didn't belong to him, and oftentimes that comes, that comes with doing the right thing, doesn't it? Have you ever taken the fall for somebody else? Maybe you're a team leader, and one of your team members falls short, but you're the leader, so you just got to grin and bear it. And take the responsibility for their mistake? I've had that happen before. That, that one's one of the hardest lessons I've, I've learned being a pastor. Um, 
taking the weight of somebody else for my mistake. And I actually learned a lot of that from Pastor Dave because he took a lot of my mistakes. <laughs> um, and um, just came alongside me in a, in a way that was pretty amazing. So oftentimes, doing the right thing is tough. So how will your character hold up when your reputation takes a dive? How will your character hold up when your reputation takes a dive? In a sense, I'm asking, where is your foundation? Is it in your self-righteousness and things of good works that you've done? Because those will fade fast in this society. Is it in God or is it in man? Is it in perishable things or is it in the imperishable? Do you rely on money or land or people or friends or popularity or reputation to make you, you? What's a litmus test for that? What's your first reaction when somebody says something about you that's not true? Is it, I wonder what so-and-so thinks? I wonder what... Um, everybody else thinks about that. Well, your foundation is not on the rock. It is on society. It's on your friend group. It's on your reputation. And that's not a good place to be because your reputation can go up and down really quickly, right? Because if somebody tarnishes your reputation or maybe some thinks, oh, they're getting a little bit too big for their britches and so we got to bring them down a peg or two. Well, I heard they start spreading rumors about you, right? As a Christian, rumor spread about me is usually a good thing because that means they're convicted by the, the rumor spreader is convicted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So I don't really worry about it too much because my Christian character is way above my reputation. And if I can hold on to the rock and I hear it's coming, I'm like, uh, that's not that big of a deal. I've heard worse. And they're like, you've heard worse? Yeah, maybe not against me, but I've heard against other people, and it's, it's not true, so I'm not going to give it any credibility. And you know how fast that rumor will stop when you don't react to it? Very quickly, all right? So where's your foundation? Hopefully it's in, in imperishable things, like when the Lord is working your life. Where will we find those characteristics? Well, we'd find them in Galatians chapter, is it five, I'm pretty sure? And it, that's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? Because we are walking in the Spirit. We're Spirit-controlled. We're thinking of others, putting them before ourselves, and uh, serving like Jesus would do. And so when somebody comes along and... Uh, trying to ruin your reputation, you have the, the peace of God in your heart, then you can walk right through that and it's not going to bother you one bit because you have something that's deeper and stronger than all that combined. So telling the truth, even when the truth is unbelievable, where does your hope rest? Think about Joseph's story down the road. You know, you see Jesus die on the cross. You see him raise again, and they're like, Joseph, you said he was the Messiah the whole time. I can't believe that. And I don't know if Joseph was probably not around by then, but Mary would have been, right? A lot of people believe that Joseph died by then because he's not in the picture. 
And Jesus was probably the head of the household at that point in time. And so, but Mary would have that reputation. You always said that it was the Holy Spirit that, that birthed them. We didn't believe it until he rose again. I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. I can't believe how I treated you over these last 30 some odd years, right? It's pretty amazing, right? So where is your peace? Where is it produced? Is it produced out of the character that wells in your heart from the Holy Spirit in the Lord? Or does it come from yourself? Does it come from your reputation? Does it come from your own talents? Because that's a bad place to be. Because when we walk in the light of Emmanuel, he will direct our path. Let's continue on. Verse 20 and 21 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Right? What does Messiah mean? It means Savior. What's he going to save us from? Our sins, right? There's two parts the Messiah. Jewish people, they're looking for a conquering king. Do you find the conquering king in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's there. And so to see one that has come and conquered sin first, and then it's going to conquer uh, society, our culture, war second, was quite a jolt to the system because a lot of time the system was built on pride. It was built on self-righteousness. And God said, I need to correct that first in order for people to walk into heaven correctly. And the way, only way I can do that is through a perfect sacrifice and someone to go onto the earth to live in perfection. And so God takes both sides of the covenant. He takes both sides of of the conception, the Holy Spirit does it both with Mary and then um, creates Jesus. So Jesus is perfect. He has the opportunity to be perfect and yet be tempted at the same time, right? Yet he never was a sinner, was he? And so we are left praising God because the Lord's guiding is peaceful, how do you know that you are being guided by the Lord? You have peace of mind. It is clear. Now, do you always have peace of mind? No, you don't always have peace of mind. So you need to go out and ask your many counselors for wisdom from them as well. But if you start to have doubt, if it's not like the right way, it's kind of like sermon prep for me. When I'm going down a topic and I'm like, oh, this isn't right. This, isn't, this doesn't feel right. Well, there's that feeling, right? Now, am I going to walk in my faith only by feeling? No. But I've already walked quite a bit into that passage, and it's not what's supposed to be preached that week. And so I need to back out, I need to pray, and I need to walk into the problem again. And when I do that, Many times the Lord reveals what he, he wants me to go. This is the road I want you to go down, okay? So is there feeling to that? Yeah, there is some, right? 
But am I relying on feeling? No, I'm relying on his word first. His foundation is his word first. And then um, I would say it's 90-10, right? A little bit of feeling in there, right? So when I'm walking in the Lord correctly all the time, it's, it's easy to find that feeling. So we set things up in our lives, though, with safety nets. We're like, especially middle class. This is a middle class thing. Um, if, you, if you are thinking about switching jobs, do you quit the job that you have before you get the new one? No, you always get the new one first, and then you quit your job. That's a middle class principle, right? Uh, you should have savings a savings account, right? You should hang on to that and, and work toward that just in case bad times or you get laid off or something or you have an emergency that comes up. Maybe a car needs to be fixed, things like that. Um, I've said it before, if things didn't work out at White Rose here, my safety net would be uh, going to my parents and things. And so all these things, we always have backup plans just in case, but that should not be necessarily our goal. To be safe isn't our goal. To be comfortable is not our goal. Our goal is to follow the Lord where he leads us. When we walk in his umbrella of protection, then we are safe. And so we have a lot of hopes and dreams, right? There's a lot of hopes and dreams, and a lot of hopes and dreams, they don't come by maybes. They do not come by maybes. They take hard work. They take dedication. And all of these are man-made or self-made, and they will all wither away. The only true safety net is in Jesus Christ because he defeated death. So what about hope for society? Where do we find this peace? God reaches out to Israel in Isaiah 44, just like we read, the whole chapter is great. It is, a, it is a calling back to the Lord. It is looking at how ridiculous we can make idols in our lives and how much stronger God is than these false idols. And what's the biggest false idol in America today? It's myself, right? We worship ourselves. I can do this. I can do this with my talents. I can push through this. Um, I'm getting trouble at school. I, I can work my way out of this. My friend's group's got this problem. I can solve this. And each and every one of those things, that is, um, I become the solution. Well, then I become my own God. And that's not right. That is secularism working its way into the church. And that's wrong. And so where do I need to give those problems up to? The Lord and the Lord will give you that peace, and he will walk you through those situations in a way that's uncanny. And you'll have the words to speak. How do you know? Because I've done it before. Uh, what'd you say? I don't remember because the Lord spoke through me. That's anytime I have a good sermon, anytime I have something, what'd you say? I don't remember. It was the Lord speaking. To remind God sets up this in Isaiah 44, though. He reminds them of their false idols they had made for themselves. He mocks them for praying to a log or a gold statue that never answers their prayers. He says, isn't the idol in my right hand a lie? He said that in verse 20, right, that we read this morning. What false hope are we holding on to that keeps us from God? 
Who or what have we established as our Savior other than the Lord? Is it money? Is it power, position? Is it family? Is it straight up sin? Is it prostitution on the internet? Is it gambling? Is it drinking to forget? Is it drinking to remember the glory days? Hey, they'll pass you by glory days. And they will all fade away. They will wither and they will all go to dust. That's what Solomon said. And he had some glory days. So Isaiah 44, 21 through 22 says, Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offensives like the morning mist. O, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Now, I'm going to say something here that sounds egotistical, but you got to bear with me. Anytime I see where it says, O house of Jacob or O house of Israel, right? I take out of Jacob. I take out O house because that's my last name, right? And so I put myself in their shoes. I put my household in their shoes. I put it, my family group in their shoes because I think we can do that as a church family. We can say, instead of saying, pay attention, O white rose, for you are my servant, O um, church, Right? We can do that. Now, can you... Okay, you can do that to a point, right? This is written to the Israelites. This is written to the house of Jacob, but it's also written to the church at large, I believe, as well. Now, there's different degrees to that. That's as far as I'm going to go there. So I do that sometimes with these things. And when I... I have scattered your offenses like the morning mints, oh... Return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Am I working on my own self-righteousness, or am I working on the righteousness of God? Because if I'm working on the righteousness of God, I know that I've been purchased by the Lord. Through his death of Jesus on the cross and raising again, his blood was perfect, and he paid the price for my sin. Sometimes I don't realize what this means because I don't take time to line up the debt of my sin. And when I understand even the little sins are egregious to the Lord, I can see how some of my major fits are just atrocities and catastrophic. How arrogant of me, and maybe you, to think that God's not big enough, his blood's not big enough to pay for my sin. I think this screams in the face of God to say, I'm not good enough, Lord, I'm not good enough. It's an arrogant statement that we need to rebuke because, one, I am not good enough, but that's not the point. The point is that Jesus Christ is good enough. He is where we find our contentment. That his sacrifice was not, to say his sacrifice was not even worth my time is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because it was and it is and I need to recognize it and put it first in my life. And I can do that in the way I pray, the way I worship, the way I view life. And those are important things to reconsider, to get me out of the picture and put God in there. God is declaring to Joseph that he's coming once and for all to redeem his people and bring them back to a good standing with him because of Jesus' payment on the cross, right? It reads like this in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 17 through 19 says, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will, ju he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you may live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. It was Jesus that did it, not us. We are glor find glory in Jesus, not us. Praise God. Praise God he is patient with you and I. Not wanting anything, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So where does change start? I know I need to change, Pastor. Where does it start? Well, one, it starts in your head. I need to know my place. Okay? I do not deserve the glory. God deserves the glory. God's awesome. I'm not. We need to have this as a daily reminder. Okay? The next is to know your heart. My heart is wicked. It's prone to wander, prone to leave the one I love. And so I need to hold on to that. I need to have daily maintenance of his word so I hang on and remember what he has for me. And then I need to show Jesus in my lifestyle. When was the last time you shared about Jesus? When was the last time you shared about Jesus? Was it like the last time you shared a story about yourself? If it wasn't, then we have some work to do. That one convicted me right there, and it still, still convicts me. The last time I shared about Jesus, was it like I shared about myself? I can, I can clearly say, no, it was not. So I have some work to do. Because when we walk in the light of Emmanuel, he will direct our path. And oh, how bright that path will shine. Let's finish off the verses 22 through 25. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God's peace is fortified in our obedience. The more we walk like Jesus, the more we're going to act like Jesus. The more we act like Jesus, the stronger our foundation becomes and it fortifies that peace that we walk in. Joseph practices faith in a way that was a lifestyle. We don't know much about him, but we do know when God said jump, Joseph said, how high? In this passage, Joseph took God at his word, and that was that. There was no big grand argument. He never questioned this. There was no need for a whale like it was for Jonah. 
He didn't start going the opposite direction, saying, I'm not going to have any part of this. No, he jumped right in with both feet. Name the child. Check. Take Mary to be your wife. Check. Honor her by not, honor God by not sleeping with her until the birth of your son. Check. There's no angels singing for Joseph, right? Oh, look what Joseph did. This is amazing. Right? That, that didn't happen. There was angels singing for the Messiah, Emmanuel, Jesus, right? All we know about Joseph, there was no fanfare. He was poor. We can gather that from the offering that he gave at circumcision. He was faithful to the Lord and his commandments. He listened. He obeyed. He was a carpenter, a builder, probably with brick. He was honorable. He was a protector because he moves down to Egypt and God says to go. And that's about it. And I would say that's enough. Right? He was a faithful man of God. Joseph obeyed when we read about him in the Bible. Right? If that were written about me, I'd be pretty excited. Uh, that's better than, than King David, right? If you start reading King David's story, you actually find out there's more wrong with King David than there is right with King David. The fact that King David um, was excited to turn back to the Lord in repentance is what saved his butt many times, right? So Joseph obeyed. James 1.22 says that do not do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What's faith without works? It's nothing. You got to do what it says, right? Do you know who is the father of James, who wrote the book of James? It's Joseph, right? Joseph was his father, and you may, I kind of wonder that Maybe he learned some of his boldness from the Lord Jesus and possibly from his father, Joseph, right? If you've ever read the book of James, it's a very, very bold book. It's like, do this, don't do this. You're stupid. You're not smart. Um, turn to God. He's the way to go, right? And I think some of that conviction comes because he didn't believe Jesus right away. But he does after he raises from the dead. Perhaps James learned that from Jesus, like I said, or Joseph. Jesus says, Jesus says it this way in John 14, 23 and 24. All who love me do what I say, for my, my Father will, will love them, and he will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Why should I obey? First John 2.17 has a good reason. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. By his grace. He saves us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us so he could save us from our own tyranny of sin. 
through our faith, we build on that foundation of grace. Obedience shows God the Father. We are walking according to his will. As a result, we show love to our neighbor. Practical ways to be alert to other people's needs. We need to slow down. We need to have our heads up. We need perhaps to have a gentle touch. How can I help? needs to be on our lips. Maybe it's time to stop and pray. Lord, show me the lost and the hurting. Be bold with gentleness. Be bold with gentleness. Love unconditionally. Put yourselves in their shoes. If your son or daughter were in the same situation, wouldn't you want a stranger to help them in a time of need? I know I would. And finally, maybe most importantly, follow through and follow up. If somebody says, man, I was having a really hard time this week. Um, maybe it's their mother's doing, not doing well or something. You come back the next week and say, hey, how's your mom doing? Because you know what that shows? It shows you really care. It shows you that you're listening. Those are things that are important. People know you care when you, when you do both of these things, when you follow through and follow up. When we walk in the light of Emmanuel, he will direct our paths. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your peace that passes understanding. Lord, I, as we come before you uh, in communion this morning, we pray that you would allow our hearts to get right with you. Lord, we pray that you would bring to the top the dross, the, the disgustingness that needs to be um, poured off. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide our hearts in forgiveness this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.